even a little white lie can snowball into deadly consequences. Welcome back to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today we're covering the case of Lori and Mark hacking while I drink my strawberry daiquiri that my son made. Calm down, people. I put in the vodka. Lori Soares was born December 31st, 1976 in Fullerton, California. She was adopted by Thelma and Harold Soares. Harold Soares was a Spanish and Portuguese teacher for Sunny Hills High School. He was also from Brazil. He met Thelma when they were both serving as missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. LDS. Lori's parents divorced in 1987 and Thelma and Lori relocated to Orem, Utah the following year. Lori went to Orem High School and that's where she met Mark Hacking. They said it was like spark flu the minute that they saw each other. They had mutual friends and they all went on a trip to Lake Powell in Utah in 1994 and from there it was was done. Mark came from a really good family. They were all very successful. His mother was a nurse. His father was a pediatrician. One of his brothers, Scott, was an interventional cardiologist. His oldest had a master's degree in electrical engineering. His brother, Lance, worked for the Department of Defense. So to say that this family had a good head on their shoulders was, uh, yeah. So you know that her parents felt good with them being together, you know? Obviously, he's got a lot of promise. Lori, she was feisty, and she was also ambitious. She was voted class president, and she was very popular, very outgoing. She wasn't afraid to tell you what she thought. She spent one year on scholarship at Weber State University and then transferred to the University of Utah. While she was there, she was selected by the Hinckley Institute of Politics as the George S. Eccles intern in business policy. She also received the University of Utah President's Award for Outstanding Scholastic Achievement for 1996 through 1997. In 2000, she was selected for membership in Beta Gamma Sigma, the Honor Society for College Schools of Business. She ended up working with Hinkley Dodge, American Express, and Wells Fargo. She was a planner. She planned everything, and especially when they got married. They got married on August 7th of 1999 in Bountiful, Utah. People envied what they had. Everyone thought, like, he seemed to be the perfect husband, and she just seemed to be the perfect wife. He was very attentive. He was very caring. He did a lot for her parents. He just seemed to be all around great. After five years of marriage, Mark had graduated from the University of Utah with honors and planned on attending the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He was going to medical school to specialize in oncology. They were in the middle of packing up their home to move to North Carolina for his upcoming semester. It was also newly found out that Lori was five months pregnant. So everyone was really excited at that time, but her mom did kind of worry a little bit because, I mean, with him in medical school, she's going to have to be the sole provider. 
So she was just worrying if it was going to be too much for her. A baby, you're the only one working, you're moving. It's kind of a lot going on. But, you know, everybody was very, very proud of them. They look like, you know, they could really make this happen. They could live the life that people wish that they could. On July 19th, 2004, everything would change. When the 27-year-old Lori went out on her daily run before work, every morning she would go and run the Memory Grove, and I guess it's also known as the City Creek Canyon area. It's northeast of downtown Salt Lake City. Mark called 911 around 10-ish in the morning to report his wife missing. He said he tried to call her at work to see how her day was going so far. And when her co-workers answered, they said that she hadn't made it to work. So that was not normal for her. She was very punctual. Alarm bells are kind of going off for everybody now because they probably thought, you know, something's going on at home. Maybe she's running late, but now you got the husband asking where she is. Everybody's worried. Police decide that, you know, they, they'll take the call seriously and they'll go check the park just to see if they find her car, anything looks suspicious. We'll go drive around, see what we can find. And right at the entrance, they find her car. So now they're worried for other reasons. Okay, so she was here. Well, Memory Grove is very steep and it's got a lot of trees and a lot of overgrown areas. Not all of it was really upkept, so... It's easy for someone to maybe slip or fall or you, you never know. There were also known homeless that hung out in that area. So they didn't not want to look at possible foul play as well. They know they're going to have a couple angles to go here. Her car's here. Maybe she fell. Maybe she's hurt. Maybe she got abducted. Maybe she ran away. Nobody knows. As word gets out, her family, his family, camera crews, more police, everyone's starting to show up at the park. Mark gets in front of the cameras so he can plead to everyone and anyone who's watching and asking them to please show up the following day for a more thorough search. He was telling them, you know, I don't know how much they're going to let us do today because by now it's probably like close to noon or so. So they know daylight is it's going to be somewhat limited. So they know that, okay, we can search, but I don't know if we're going to call all these people out here to have them come search. But I mean, a lot of people did show up. Anyways, like people wanted to find her. He tells everyone, you know, if you can come tomorrow, 6 a.m., please, if you can assist, please come assist. Kelly Kent was the lead detective on the case and Tyler West. He was also a detective for the Salt Lake City Police Department. When they arrived on the scene, it, it's been about three hours since Lori had been missing. So, you know, they asked Mark to, can you tell us about your day? What did you do? What happened? He told them the same story he's been saying. She left for her morning jog and she has not been heard or seen by anybody. Their apartment is not far from this. So they asked Mark, you know, all right, well, we need to get her photo out to the media. Can we go back to your place and get a photo so we can release it? This might, you know, up the chances of finding her, get her picture out there, let people know what she looks like. And of course, he's like, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they're also going to have ulterior motives. This is how they can see how you live. You know, what are you into? What are your interests? You know, do you have freaking knives all over the place? Like, what, what kind of household is this? When they arrive and they kind of look around and trying to see if anything sticks out, are they going to find evidence of an affair? 
what will they find? They can obviously see that they're in the process of moving. And he tells them that, you know, he's enrolled in medical school in North Carolina. So they were moving out so they could move to North Carolina. Kelly notices that Lori's purse was still in in the apartment. It was sitting on a side table. So she looks inside of it and her wallet was in there. And she thought that was kind of weird, you know, even though it's not far. I guess she thought, you know, maybe you'd leave it in the car. I don't know. Mark said, you know, she's jogging. She's not going to take her purse. So she's like, okay. Another thing Kelly picked up on, and I swear to God, like, this is the most brilliant thing. I, I swear to God. So she sees a vase of flowers that are sitting on the kitchen counter. And, you know, she's a woman. She's thinking to herself... There are two kinds of flowers that women get from their husbands, boyfriends, whatever you want to call it. There was the I was thinking about you flowers, which are kind of like the cheapy ones at the grocery store that you pick them up on your way out. Maybe Walgreens, nothing extravagant. And then there is the I fucked up flowers, which are usually very expensive and beautiful vases. Maybe there's a teddy bear on it, balloon, who knows? She noticed these were the I fucked up flowers. So right then and there, she knows something's going on in the marriage. She doesn't know what yet. And it could all be circumstantial. But her antennas are going up a little bit. When she went into the bathroom, she noticed that the bathroom was spotless. And the tub, it smelled like bleach. So that made her think a little bit. When she walked into the bedroom, she could tell that the bed had just been made with brand new sheets right out of the box. She said they still had the packaging creases on them, which shows that they hadn't been slept in, washed, or used. On her dresser was a jewelry box, and when she kind of like just peeked over inside of it, she could see Lori's wedding ring sitting in the jewelry box. And, you know, Mark again, well, she went jogging. Why does she need her ring? So he had answers for some of the things that they were questioning. She's not feeling good about some of the things she's finding in the house, but it's definitely not enough to say, okay, something happened in this house. It could all be very circumstantial. You got to be careful with that. Yeah, it looks like he's been covering something up, but again, you don't know. They get the pictures and they go back to the park to see what's been happening since they left. Now, more people are there. Her co-workers have come. Strangers started to arrive to help with the search. Mark's father decides that he's going to get in front of the cameras. And he wants to tell everybody, you know, that she is no runaway. Because, of course, that is something that they have to take into consideration. Some people just want to disappear. And it's their right to disappear. But normally, when a woman is five months pregnant and moving with her husband when he's about to start medical school and has all this fun, exciting stuff happening, usually doesn't run away. So he wanted the public to know, we're canceling that out right now. We're not, we're not going with that one bit. She's been abducted. Something is wrong. Either she's hurt, she's fallen, and she can't move, or someone has her. End of story. Point blank. As time goes on, they ask Mark if now some time's gone on, can we bring you in for a formal interview? And he says, yes. So again, let's go over the day. And he tells them she went jogging. He was home packing for med school. She went missing. The couple had no issues. There were no problems. They were happy. They were excited for new adventures. 
Then Kelly starts asking more about, oh, so, okay, so you're going for medical school. And he's, yeah. So she's like, well, what are you going to specialize in? And he says, oncology. And she's like, you know, kind of stupid. Like, can you spell that for me? Which clearly this woman is anything but. He starts spelling it like A-N-C-O, red flag, red flag. Like, what? How are you going to specialize? You can't even spell it. So she's kind of like, uh, okay, either, you know, you're so distraught and so out of it, you, you can't think clearly right now. But as he is acting upset, there's no tears and there's no snot. She knows he's lying. After she was done questioning him, they go back to the grove. And now they have zones set up. They got canine dogs in one section. They got police on bike patrol. They got a helicopter flying around. They had what they called a two-prong investigation. And that's when they separate the duties between the different sections. Like homicide was handling one part and patrol officers were doing their part. They had to look at all angles. People got to talk to neighbors. You got to look at sex offenders. You got to look at the homeless. You got to look at the family. So much to look at. They realized the one place they probably haven't checked yet was Mark's truck, which was sitting right there. So they asked, you know, can we look in your truck? And he's like, sure, go for it. Well, on the seat, they find a Yellow Pages book. (laughs) Who remembers those? (laughs) We're old people. And underneath it was a receipt from a mattress store. He had bought a new mattress on the day that Lori went missing. Like, really? So they ask him, like, uh, look what we just found. And he snapped and he's like, you think I hurt her? Literally her words. I watched it on a lie to die for. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she said, I know you killed her and I'm going to fucking prove it. As they continue to look in the truck, they notice that Mark's no longer on the scene. So they're like, oh no. So they're going to go back to the apartment to see if that's where he went. They go, they knock on the door, and he answers. So, well, they were right. He was there. He's like, look, look wherever you want. Do whatever you want. I have nothing to hide. And so they have like a consent of search form so it's like they don't have to go get a search warrant which takes time you know could take hours you got to prove to somebody else that you need it and yada yada so at least let's try like are you gonna let us come in or do we gotta go get the big dogs so he's like fine he signs it and he's like okay when they go back in the apartment they're heading straight back to that bedroom they want to look at the mattress And when she looked at it, she could tell that the mattress was brand new, but the box spring was not due to them being different colors and different patterns. Tyler started looking around in his nightstands and he found a few knives and one of them was uh, the hunting knife and on it was blood and even a bloody fingerprint. And he's like, yo, dude, what's going on with this? And he's like, I hunt. It was from hunting. Now they're like, you know what? This consent form, it did its purpose, but now it's time to go get a search warrant. They closed off the apartment. He's like, can I go? And they're like, yeah, you can go. I mean, they don't know still if she's dead or alive. They have no idea. So they can't 
put too much on him because she really could be missing. But that's not what their spidey senses are telling them. While they're there, you know, they canvass the outside of the apartment complex and they locate a dumpster. When they look inside, it's almost empty. You can tell somebody threw stuff in. The garbage was emptied. And in it was a package for brand new sheets and a mattress protector for like transportation of a mattress. So when you're bringing it home, you don't get it all nasty, nastified. They ask him, like, so what day does your garbage come? And he had an odd response. He told them that that grid picked up on Monday mornings. That grid. People usually don't know their grids. They just know the day. Like, I'm Tuesday and Thursday. (laughs) Like, I I couldn't tell you about a grid. So right then and there, she's like, how does he know that? She's like, he threw her away. He threw her in the trash. So now she's telling her sergeant, Ron Miller, all of her thoughts and why. And he's telling her, you know, you're wrong, you're crazy, and that is not what's going on here. He also tells her it's too expensive to shut down the dump. That she has no idea in what that entails. So just as Kelly probably wanted to rip his fucking head off, and you know, she's stewing, he gives her a call and he asks her, what the box spring looked like at the hacking's house. She told him it was taupe and embroidered with flowers. He said, damn, you're right. We're gonna have to shut down the dump. When he left the scene, he went to smoke a cigar at the LDS church. While he was there, he came across another dumpster, but this one was full. This one also contained a mattress, which had the pillow top cut off of it. So now they realize he likes dumpsters and she's in one of these. Later on that evening, a call comes in from a local hotel stating that Mark was running around naked at the hotel and making a disturbance. When police arrived, he was only wearing flip-flops. You know, I'm glad he thought those were important, you know. He was then brought to the University of Neuropsychiatric Institute by his brother where he was admitted. The next day, more than 1,200 volunteers showed up to start searching through the steep terrain surrounding the park and canyon in hopes of finding Lori. But also, a new tip comes in for Kelly and Tyler. They got a call from the University of North Carolina School of Medicine, you know, the one Mark said he was enrolled at, and they drop a bombshell. Turns out, not only was Mark not enrolled in their school, but they had never heard of him. They saw the story on the news and they were shocked because they're like, we don't even know who this person is. So they thought that, you know, they should reach out and say, he's not supposed to be coming here. Something's wrong. So now they know they need to get some answers from Mark. What in the hell is going on here? Now you're not going to med school? They go back to his room and he's just chilling, eating pizza, watching cartoons. Not exactly, you know, your typical worried husband, but hey, everyone grieves differently. He tells them that now, though, he is so depressed and he's so suicidal and he's stressed. So they know they got to go because if you stress him out too much, you might get blocked from talking to him at all. Don't forget, like, he's on a secure floor, so he can cut off conversation at any time. So they got to play this one. Got to play it cool. (laughs) The detectives decide that they want to tell Thelma, Lori's mom, what they had uncovered regarding him lying about this whole freaking career. She could not wrap her head around it. 
She couldn't because, you know, she's, I was at his commencement. I was there and they're like, you watched him graduate? And she's like, well, no. What happened was, is the night before Mark had gotten extremely ill. I'm talking about throwing up left and right, can't keep anything down so much that he went and got his own room next to them so they could have a room so he wasn't bothering anybody. The whole night he sat there throwing up. They said they could hear him through the walls. So they knew he was probably not making it to graduation. So, I mean, the next day the girls, they got up and they went out for lunch. We're not going to a graduation. We might as well do something. So when they got back, Mark said that he seemed to be feeling better. You know, Thelma thought it would be nice since he had his cap and gown on him that, you know, he should put it on so she could take pictures. That way he had something to remind himself of graduating. He felt bad for him. This was your big day and you didn't even get to take part of it. Let's at least take a picture and, you know, we can always say, oh, it was a great day. Thelma tells Lori's brother, Paul, and he was dumbfounded. I mean, there were so many times if he would call or text Mark, Mark always said he was in the library studying. He also had the announcement for his graduation. You know, it's not making sense to people. Like, we've seen proof-ish, but do you really second-guess that stuff? They were also contacted by a store clerk named Eric, who had seen the couple in his store the night before. It's just like your little mini-mart. It was like a half a block from the apartment complex. And so the guy knew exactly, you know, who was all over the news. And he's like, hey, you know, they're on surveillance. As soon as you walk in, you know, they got the little surveillance when you come in and above the counter and all that. Everything's on there. And both of them were in there, Lori and Mark. They went together. They bought soda and they left. They were seen walking in around 9.45 p.m. The clerk said that when they turned around and they were walking out, Mark turned around to him and said, you know, don't tell my wife I smoke. Ooh, I just thought of this. Maybe he was going to use that as like a motive later on, plant the seed. I really don't know. I mean, I could overanalyze. Trust me, that's like my gift. (laughs) But really what it all shows is that sounds like he had another secret that he was keeping. He would go to that store and buy cigarettes. So he didn't want the clerk to snitch on him. Although the video doesn't really show a whole lot, but I mean, at least it showed them what they were wearing at the time when they came in that evening. Mark had on like a gray Ralph Polo shirt and either like white or just blue jeans. Lori was wearing a tan top and green scrub bottoms. Mark was arrested on August 2nd, 2004 on suspicion of aggravated murder. Police believed that he acted alone, killing Lori in their apartment with a 22 caliber rifle while she was sleeping and disposing of her body in a dumpster. Detective Kelly, she got approached by Mark's two brothers, Scott and Lance, and they asked, like, do you really think he did this? And she said, yes. She's like, surely, I'll tell you why. Goes over it all. The mattress, you bought it. You said you were out searching for your wife. No, you were buying a mattress. So many things weren't adding up. Again, a lot of them are circumstantial. But I mean, how much circumstantial evidence can you have in one case? I mean, so she could tell by their faces that they were going to have to go speak to Mark. They needed to, to hear it from him. When they approached him, Mark confessed. He said, she's dead and I killed her. 
As stunned as everyone was that he actually just outed it, police decide they're going to call both sides of the family and they want to tell them together. Put everybody in a room and they just drop bombshell after bombshell. He never graduated from college. He was never accepted into a medical school. He confessed to killing his wife. The hacking family was inconsolable. They could not believe everything. Not only their son wasn't going to a prestigious school and all that, but he murdered his wife. You know, they loved Lori. They were excited to be grandparents. This was a lot for them to handle. It was a lot. It was a lot for all of them to handle. It was crazy. He would ask Lori for help on fake midterm papers and he would store his textbooks in his garage He took something that night that made him violently ill so he could miss graduation. He made his own acceptance letter, graduation announcements, like he went all out. If he could have put just as much effort into his schoolwork that he did for actually graduating to become a doctor, he could have actually freaking became one. He was a smart guy. His best friend Paul said that... Mark's double life began when he wasn't accepted into a bachelor's degree program at the University of Utah. Rather than tell his father that he had been rejected, he pretended that he had been accepted. He said that Mark was driven by a sense of inadequacy, saying that, you know, his father was a successful pediatrician, you know, brother's a doctor, another one's an engineer, yada yada, that he felt like he needed to be just as well. But Truth be told, his father was not overbearing or demanding. He did not create the pressures that Mark supposedly felt. You know, his dad was a wonderful man. He was putting all this pressure on himself. Paul said that a lot of the times that he pretended to be in class and studying, that they were actually hanging out together. And this happened semester after semester after semester. When investigators were back at the house, still combing through everything, they found an envelope with Mark's name on the front of it. Inside was a typed letter, and it says, I want to grow old with you, but I can't do it under these conditions. I hate coming home from work because it hurts to be home in our apartment. I can't imagine life with you if things don't change. I got someone I don't want to spend the rest of my life with unless changes are made. And that was from Lori. She was planning on leaving Mark. She found out that this was all a lie. So he thought, you know, he had to kill her. He told investigators that they were on the right track, that she was in fact in the landfill. He threw her body away after he shot her while she slept in the back of the head. She was asleep in her bed, minding her own business, probably trying to figure out what the hell she's going to do with her life now. And he shot her. I mean, could you imagine? Like, you're moving to go nowhere. Like, that. that's a lot to handle in itself. They called off the search on the canyon in the park. And they concentrated all that energy on the landfill, which was about 10 acres big. The Salt Lake City landfill receives an estimated four tons of waste just for those two days in question, the 19th and the 20th. When they were able to find what section was kind of like secluded for those days, because I guess they have, you know, like their own intricate system, that is what they decided to really put their attention to but first they had to get over the sand so I guess when they're pretty much done with a section they pour sand over it that way it can condense the trash and you know stuff's not flying all over the place 
But when they have to take the sand back off, debris will go flying and the pile will actually expand to double in size. They brought in the cadaver dogs and they hand searched. They didn't use anything other than hands. They wanted to make sure they missed nothing. It took them more than a month to search before they found Lori's remains. On October 1st, 2004, at 8.20 a.m., they found her jawbone, which still had her teeth attached. That would later confirm that that was Lori's. They also found the same clothing that Lori was seen wearing on the video at that mini-mart. On April 15, 2005, Mark pleaded guilty to first-degree murder in exchange for prosecutors dropping other charges. On June 6, 2005, he was sentenced to six years to life in prison, the maximum possible sentence under Utah law at that time. That is ridiculous. In Utah, prison sentences are indeterminate with a minimum and a maximum time frame. The offender must serve the entire sentence unless the Utah Board of Pardons release them sooner. Normally, those convicted of first-degree murder must serve a minimum of five years before they can even be considered for parole. But since Lori was killed with a firearm, the minimum was increased by a year. In July of 2005, the Utah Board of Pardons declared that Mark Hacking would not be considered for parole until at least 2035, meaning that he would have to serve a minimum of 30 years in prison. Thank God somebody had a brain. The initial sentence caused a widespread public outcry. People were pissed the fuck off because how do you murder two people? It should be murder of two. She was pregnant. I don't know if they ever found proof of that, but I know it came out of her mouth while she still was alive. Paul Boyden, the executive director of the Utah Statewide Association of Prosecutors, urged the Utah Sentencing Commission to raise the minimum sentence for first-degree murder to 15 years. He said most people don't understand Utah's system of indeterminate sentences and added that it caused a public perception problem for the state, that most inmates convicted of murder will have to wait between 18 and 35 years for a parole hearing. But Mark's actions pushed it to a higher level of spectrum. You know, people were more aware of it now. Now things are starting to come to light. So in March 20th, 2006, Utah House Bill 102, also known as Lori's Law, was signed into law. It stipulates that people convicted of first-degree murder in Utah must serve at least 15 years before they can even be considered for parole. Mark Hacking read a statement from his family, and he said that that would be their final statement to the press about the murder. The statement clarified several events leading up to Mark's confession and conviction. The statement ended by quoting Mark. I know prison is where I need to be. I will spend my time there doing all I can to right the many wrongs I have done. I have a lot of healing and changing to do, but I hope that someday I can become the man Lori always thought I was. To many people I have hurt, I am more sorry than you could ever know. Every day my soul burns in torment when I think of what you must be going through. I wish I could take away your pain. I wish I could take back all the lies I have told and replace them with the truth. I wish I could put Lori back into your arms. My pain is deserved. Yours is not. From the bottom of my heart, I beg for your forgiveness. There is no such thing as a harmless lie, no matter how small it is. You may think a lie only hurts the liar, but this is far from the truth. 
If you are traveling a path of lies, please stop now and face the consequences. Whatever those consequences, they will be better than the pain you are causing yourself and others. Lori's co-workers also told police that a few days before she vanished, she received an upsetting phone call at work and that she left the office in tears. They think that it might have been the University of North Carolina stating that her husband was not enrolled there like he was insisting that he did. In June of 2006, they discovered that there's some kind of site called Murder Auction, and I guess he was trying to sell off his personal items from prison, including like autographs, hand tracing, different kind of forms from the prison, all kinds of shit. (laughs) So they finally told him, you know, you got to cut it out. So he ain't that crazy. He knows he likes money. That's just crazy. That is just so much for anyone to wrap their head around. I mean, poor Lori. She's thinking she's starting a whole new chapter and it was all fake. They were all duped. All of them. His family. Her family. I need to do a very special shout out to Shannon O'Brien who has become a Patreon. So thank you so much for the love and support. Really appreciate it. If you would like to become a Patreon, it is so easy. You just go to crimeovercocktails.com, find the Patreon page. You too can reap the benefits of becoming a Patreon, which can give you early access to episodes. You get to hear the After Hours edition where I like to head after this episode so I can tell you what I really think of the case. If you want to pick yourself up some Crime Over Cocktails merch, you can also find that on the website or the Patreon. Certain tiers come with goodies. Don't forget when you're listening to these episodes on all platforms, you're liking, following, subscribing. Leave that five-star review. I super appreciate it. All right, you guys, and we'll talk crime another time. Bye.